This copyrighted podcast of the James Perspective has been paid for and funded by James M. Wilkerson. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast are a permutation and combination of words and sentences used in this podcast without the express written consent of James M. Wilkerson and the James Perspective is strictly prohibited. have everybody here we got the crew whole crew again and, and doc is drinking full throttle so we're gonna get lots of input from doc today mm-hmm. there you go <laughs> and, and he's eating cashews jim is that the official energy drink for <laughs> <laughs> uh, i would tend to differ with that <laughs> oh, oh sorry sorry Glenn. i'm sorry it's not going to be like last podcast where I talked about babies, but it will be about PJ's <laughs> But Jim, if you have not heard Spotty's podcast, you got to hear that. Okay. All right. I definitely I, I'm not kidding you. I've never been to a professional place where I have laughed harder than, than that. Anyway, we got Pastor Chris, the giant preacher here, and we got the two remaining James perspective people, Jim and James, are here today. Good to have you guys okay. back. You know, today, I'm always interested because I never pick a topic for Wednesday. If it's not a topic you like, you can blame either Jim or, or, or the giant preacher because we don't pick it. Right? Yes, right. it's true. It's true. Yes. Now, it's interesting that eschatology keeps coming back up uh, as a topic that someone in, the, in, in here wants to, on this podcast wants to talk about. And I do kind of understand that, you know, when you see things that are going on, it appears like uh, end times, we've got AI that say, you know, it's becoming so smart that humans can't outthink it. And we got, you know, China coming into uh, San Francisco and cleaning up the streets. I didn't think we'd ever see those streets clean again. People playing pickleball. Especially with the communist China flags all flying. And then people playing pickleball instead of tennis. Um, You know, we have we have that type of thing going on. I, I don't know what pickleball is. You don't. I well, that's because you're Christian. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't want to know what it is. And we got the we got the, already started a a, a a controversy right there. I, I believe it. Have a lot of people calling it all pickleball. That's then, not that's not unusual. If you, if you think of it as ping pong, uh, if you were on a court. And that you're playing ping pong. I didn't mean for it's miniature tennis. Oh, miniature tennis. So it's like you, yeah, you cut the board. And how does this work with eschatology? I have no idea. It was in times when people. It's one of the seven signs, according to James. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and another the the sixth one is is Taylor Swift. But anyway, um, but then something happens like Javier, maybe you'll be selected, and and you know. Makes you think that maybe we don't need to know eschatology. <laughs> who is that? Yeah, who is that? Oh, you guys don't know that Argentina? Argentina's new president. Oh, man. Wow. Is he a communist? No. Just the opposite. No, no. He's a libertarian. He is a libertarian. And in, in Argentina, and I've, said, I've always said this, that if any country could overtake the United States in producing um, natural, natural good, you know, natural, what do you call them? 
resources. Thank you. Resources wouldn't come to me. Anyway, it would be Argentina, but they've never had a they've never had a conservative government or anything since at least Perón in the forties. So anyway, that may be our competitor. They don't they don't have to throw people out of helicopters, do they? All right. Well, anyway, eschatology. Hey, let's start the Christian podcast. Yeah, yeah let's start over. I'm actually just down for listening today. <laughs> so, is pickleball the sign of the end of times? Is what I'm asking. Try to pull that out of Matthew 24. Uh, I'd like to pull something out of Matthew 24. <laughs> I didn't see that this morning when I was reading it. But anyway. <laughs> Take it away, Pastor. <laughs> well, um, when you look at uh, the 24th chapter of Matthew, it says that in the end times, it's going to be as in the days of Noah. And uh, it talks about eating and drinking. Uh, y- you, could, uh, you could think of that meaning that it's going to be like everybody's in a big party a way of thinking. And uh, uh, anyhow, God God told Noah to build this ark, a big ship, put animals on it. He was mocked and scoffed at because all the uh, water that they got seeped up through the earth. There was They knew nothing about rain. That's a brand new concept. And so, uh, He's building this big ship. Uh, it seemed to be unnecessary since water came up from the ground. It it watered everything, hydrated everything. And now he's building this ship. I mean, this ark. Uh, people mocked and scoffed at that. Just like they're mocking and scoffing at the uh, new Speaker of the House. And uh, I, I read some of the things they're saying about him. And it's so ridiculous. It st- shows the stupidity of the era that we're living in right now, that they mock things uh, of, of Christians and of the Holy Scripture, and, and they're mocking things even of, of, of the Jews. And there's a demonic hate for Jews. There's no other ex- way to explain it. I mean, uh, such a demonic hate that comes through on Facebook and, and the news and, and uh, in real life. And so that that shows me there is a good force and an evil force in this world. And many times it looks like the evil force is going to win over, but I'm here to tell you that ultimately the good force will win. And so uh, finally God shut the door of the ark after everything was on the ark that needed to be on the ark. And uh, it's kind of like today. I, I want to say it's very much like today because today we're telling everybody about Jesus Christ. And uh, he's the second person in the Holy Trinity, the only begotten Son of God. But we believe in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And uh, and people want to, to mock us going to the church. Now, we've been told in the Word of God that there is a time that, that, the, that the world uh, is, is going to go through some things. And Revelation tells you a little bit about that. And uh, people uh, mock that. And even even the church, you know, the church is like the ark. It's like the big ship because it's it's it seems to be unnecessary to many many people. Even people that uh, talk about being Christian and and calling themselves a Christian, yet they never darken the door of any church 
thousands and millions of people that profess Christ as uh, a, a savior or, or uh, Christ Jesus, uh, whom I'm speaking of, uh, they believe that he lived, was a good man. Some of them don't really understand some of the things that he said because he's the only door. Let me say it again. He is the only door for salvation. So the church seems to be unnecessary. But Jesus said uh, to Peter, upon this confession of faith, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And anybody that doesn't get on this ark, I'm talking about the church. It is the body of Jesus Christ. He is the head and we are members of the body. And he said in the last day, there's going to be a lot of people that uh, that forsake the assembling together of themselves. They stop going to church. And the church is the ark. It's the safe zone because Jesus is coming back again, just like Noah preached the flood was coming. It, he took, it, I think it was like 100 years for him to uh, build the ark. And so the church has been uh, 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 in construction now for, for, for many, many, many years. And yet many, many have refused to go into the ark. So uh, that's kind of a baseline of, of what we're talking about. And the scripture says in Matthew 24 uh, that the end time is going to be like the days of Noah. So we, I think now I've kind of laid the groundwork. And we'll let Jim say a few words here. And I'm sure it'd be more than a few. And, and, and James and Doc and Glenn all going to have something to say in a few minutes. So the only thing I want to say, and I, I mentioned this to Jim uh, before we got on the podcast, is there is uh, there's uh, some confusion and discussion and, and, and people trying to get a hold of the theology of, of 24, whether it is talking about Matthew 24 whether it's talking about the rapture of the church, the catching away, rapture is just a word, it means the catching away of the, of the church in the end time, or is it talking about the second coming of Jesus, which the second coming of Jesus is like seven years after the rapture of the church, uh, after the tribulation. The tribulation is seven years. And uh, so anyhow, with, with that in mind, I'm going to open it for any comments. That means you, yeah. Jim. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, just to get started that last point, um, I would be perhaps on the side that says it's not clear in here that it's talking about some pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I can be convinced otherwise. I know that I'm going to be taught otherwise here at Dallas, and I'm open to that because I just frankly don't see it in Scripture as there being multiple second comings or you know, a second and third coming and things like that. Uh, that there's one second coming of Christ from what I could tell and that it's going to be the, uh, there are going to be multiple resurrections that happen uh, at that time, but that that doesn't mean that there are multiple comings simply because there are multiple resurrections. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And I think that okay. uh, that opens uh, opens up some discussion because uh, the rapture of the church, nobody knows the day or the hour. Just like in uh, the rain coming upon the ark, nobody knew the day or the hour except for God. The second coming, the second coming, uh, we know is at the end of the tribulation. So some people have actually said, I got online and read some of this to really understand what people are saying about uh, Matthew 24. And some say that it is definitely talking about 
both things, but it's not it's not in chronological order uh, the way that it's laid out because people will know people could know. Let me put it that way. Uh, after all of a sudden, all these people disappear, graves open, and all of that. That's called a rapture of the church. They they can know the time. Now, maybe not the hour, but the time that Jesus Christ is going to come back. And uh, we're going to see him in, in, in the sky in the rapture. But on the second coming, he's going to come and put his feet up on the earth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I, I don't think I have too much to comment on that because I agree with you. that That's how the second coming is going to happen. I don't know. Like I said, I would have to be shown that that you know first thessalonians chapter four mentioning of the resurrection i think that's what it is that that resurrection means the rapture because that's the argument uh, that that one's different than what we see in revelation and the different uh resurrections they're discussed elsewhere so uh i just like for me it's just one of those things where i have difficulty seeing it um i'm still a premillennialist in the sense that pretty much i think all dispensationalists are. They're, they're premillennialists, meaning that uh, Christ is coming again in history, that there's nothing spiritualized really about Revelation, and that his second coming precedes the millennium, therefore we're premillennialists. Um, and so I'm very much premillennialist, that Christ's second coming is literal, it's going to be on this earth, and that uh, he's going to have a millennial kingdom after that. Uh, it's just a matter of whether that happens uh, before. Uh, it, it, it's just a matter of whether the resurrection of the church happens before or after the tribulation. And uh, I think that the most convincing piece of evidence, perhaps, that the pre-tribulationalists have, which again, pre-tribulationalists are just people who say that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. Uh, I think it happens in Revelation 3, if not chapter it might be chapter three, if not chapter two, where uh, it might be the church in Philadelphia is going to be saved from the hour of wrath. It's not just going to be saved from wrath, but the hour of it. And so people have taken that to mean that that church is going to be raptured before the time of the tribulation. And so this is good evidence for uh, pre-trib rapture. So okay. I, I definitely see like where they're arguing it. It's just as difficult for me to take those things and say with any level of certainty that that definitely means, you know, pre-trip rapture. Yeah. In fact, I, I did not look this up this morning before I came, but I've always kind of uh, referenced maybe the same scripture you're referencing, just using different terminology, because it says that uh, that God's people or, or whoever the writer of that particular passage is, he's saying that we're not appointed to wrath. And the second or these the last three and a half weeks, last three and a half years uh, of the tribulation is the wrath of God being poured out. And so I don't know if what you just quoted is the same scripture that I thought read that uh, the children of God are not appointed to wrath, the wrath of God. And and we're not appointed to the wrath of God. You think that's the right. same scripture? And, I, and for me, and I haven't seen any commentary on this, so I definitely don't have a very well informed view on this at all. In fact, I'm not an authority on any of this. By the way, I, I want to make that absolutely clear. But whenever um, 
whenever I read a verse like that, that we're not appointed to wrath, what that makes me think of is the eternal damnation. I knew it was time for you, James. Well, I mean, Jim said, Jim said something's totally false. On the James perspective, we're experts on everything. I'm still learning. I didn't know what was going to come out of my <laughs> Well, here's what I was thinking when Jim was talking. Uh, I was thinking, uh, he sat at the table with his dad, and yet he's said he's some error right here. And and that couldn't be that couldn't come from his dad, uh, you know, his, his <laughs> James Wilkerson. No. So it's time for you to clear this up. You know, I really don't have. I'm, I'm, you know what the truth is? I'm, you know how you're supposed to be waiting in anticipation uh-huh. for for it. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting in anticipation for Jim to, have to take that course mm-hmm. because yeah. I, 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 you know, I know what they're going to teach him. I, I know, I know what they're going to teach him. I, I was under a pastor my whole life that taught it. As you know, the way that, that for you know, the way that you believe, mm-hmm. and our David Jeremiah is in my book, as good a pastor as there's ever been, and he agrees with the pastor I was under, but both of them were DTS, mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. of them went there. So I know that Jim's going to get exposed to that, and I want to see after that because Jim will be fair, he will, I know he is, I know Jim, he will look at it from both sides now, the give and take, and still somehow, wait, I'm a broken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he does look at both sides. And I want to see after he's had very brilliant, well-informed teachers teaching it. And I'm, I, I, and he gets exposed to other things that there, too, I found out. You know, for instance, someone who is not hammering on um, postmodernism. Um, I don't know. I, I can't wait for that. So the answer to your question is I'm, I'm patiently waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is this is might take a different turn, but this has to deal with our family's history, maybe sort of going through a level of uncertainty about the afterlife, especially concerning uh, our conversation one time where we're we were talking about the concept of the afterlife and what it means to be rid of all pain, um, which I think that you might have said, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, Dad, that. That could imply uh, unconsciousness, and that's you. I don't think that you hold this view anymore. I'm just saying that that. Oh no, I don't know that. I don't know okay. that. Here, here's okay. here's here's where I'm coming. Um, it, it's you 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 just forced me into Emmanuel Kant and in person. Right. Um, I don't believe with the five senses we have that there will be that consciousness because all of those five senses require change, and I don't see that. Those type of changes are there. I think that we're going to have a sixth sense. That's what I think. I think that there's going to be a another sense that gives us the ability to see beyond the material. Okay, but there was so there was a and that's philosophical, by the way. By the way, that's philosophical. That's not biblical. Yeah, yeah, but there was a conversation that we had in the past, and I might be wrong about this, where it seemed like we we lose our consciousness. Whenever we went to the afterlife, that that was maybe like an idea that you were playing around with. Was that ever one? Well, it, it is all because I cannot, still cannot see that with our five senses that we currently have, which is imperfect, mm-hmm. we see apart. I don't see that we would be able to even be conscious in heaven with these five senses. That the only way we'll be conscious is if God allows us to see with some sixth or more sense. Well, don't you think that even now? As uh, believers, 
that sometimes the sixth sense uh, uh, kicks in, and that would be the Spirit of God showing yes. you things. Yes. And the Bible talks about that we have the mind of Christ. Yes. yes. Okay. And, and, and I absolutely believe that we are allowed to have some of our inheritance here on earth. And absolutely. And that sixth sense. Yes. And so I, I, I agree that all those things. At the time when you were talking about, I had not thought about the sixth sense. I had not read Immanuel Kant yet. Since, since I've read him and read Berkson, even philosophically, I come to terms that there, there could be a heaven that we can perceive, just not with our five senses. Yeah, got it. Did you, so whenever whenever we were toying around with that, because that, that conversation, you didn't, I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying, like, you know, it kind of affected me. Um, where did the resurrection fit in with that sort of, not that's not really eschatology. That's more about just the afterlife. Where did the in resurrection fit into that formula? Well, I mean, I I know that you focus on the resurrection and, and properly so more than than I I perhaps do. The answer to the question is, um, I think that God has consciousness. If that's what you're asking, you're talking about the resurrection well, of our bodies. Um, uh-huh, yeah, the yeah, resurrection well, of our bodies. He, he, you know, at the time, at the time, without me considering the sixth sense, which is really ridiculous now looking at hindsight. But in if I if I were to, to take away that sixth sense, then I would say that we would go back into uh, oneness with God and would be unconscious about it. That's, uh-huh. what, that's what I would say. Various Aristotelian, if you have not covered that yet and, and uh, I know you're gonna go to the philosophers and, and yeah. if you mm-hmm. it's very Aristotelian, the the view I had probably was influenced by Aristotle. Okay, and so would the would would a bodily resurrection fit anywhere in with that, or would the, would that just sort of be it, and revelation be spiritualized in a way? All right. Well, my problem my problem with any type of eschatology is I feel like I don't have enough knowledge to know what that means yet. Maybe as we get closer to it, I will, but I don't have a theory on it. To be honest with you, okay. I, I, I always punt. And say, I, I know it's there. I'm looking for it. There's going to be a bodily resurrection for it in the Bible. But what it means, I'm, I'm hoping God makes that clear towards the end because I cannot make sense of it. Well, okay. absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absent body, Spirit and soul immediately go to be with the Lord. I and the body, apparently, for whatever reason, the body is going to be re- reunited. It's going to be a new body that's reunited with the spirit and the soul, that's going to happen at the rapture, the catching away uh, of the church. And so uh, those that are alive are caught up, and those that are dead, they, they'll come up first, I guess because they have six feet more to come up. Than we <laughs> so <laughs> what, what gets me about that, though, and, and at first you're going to go, this is just James being James, and you can go ahead and do that. Uh-huh. It confuses me what happens to Campbell. Oh, hey. the process of... Um, give me one second. There, someone went into this. Dale Allison, I think, went into this, like the mechanics of the resurrection. And I think whenever you start doing that, like trying to figure out how the resurrection is going to happen, let's say, like we go into the earth, we become fertilization, we get eaten by animals, and now we're manure. But then those animals get eaten by people, and those cells become part of people, and now we're in essence part of another person. And then that person dies, and life continues that way. How does the resurrection happen? How do we split right. those molecules up whenever one piece of matter was multiple people? Like, essentially, that's what he went through. And I think as soon as you start doing that, there's just conjecture. You guys are idiots. 
That's so stupid to even get concerned with something like that. I mean, well, God, it crossed my no, mind. All yeah, I can say is God is God. Yeah. It's a circle. I will, an- I will answer because God on that Circle of line. <laughs> I'll have a problem. I'll give the yeah. because God answer on the resurrection. <laughs> I did not yeah, see yeah, any of this coming. <laughs> Were you I can't believe that that's an actual intellectual idea. Why not? People well, are... So, so Dell Allison, I don't know if I would lump Dell Allison in with Orthodox Christianity. And so he was just having this idea, like he was having doubts about how the resurrection happened. And I think whenever people try to figure it out how, how God works or why God works, then that's whenever we start getting into, we start trying to use human reasoning to there figure you out go. why or how God's doing. That's yes. what I'm trying to say. I yeah. can't I can't make sense of it. All I know is that I'm supposed to be looking for it, right? Yeah. And I understand it's gonna happen and I believe it's gonna happen. I just can't picture it. I'm just so glad I'm that, gonna go I'm glad that Jim interpreted what you said. Oh <laughs> I can't believe that somebody wrote an actual academic paper on that dumb idea. It's not a dumb idea. It's oh, not it a dumb idea. It occurred to me, okay, you have two cannibals. And they convert to Christianity. <laughs> now they're both going to be the person they ate, the missionary they ate, and the, Christ, the cannibal are going to go to heaven and they're going to resurrect a body and it's mixed up and say, hey, you won't be needing that molecule. Sure that sounds like he's got the box. <laughs> he doesn't remember. Why, why is that not a good thought to think? It's a. Uh, it's not. It's not that it's not a good thought. It's that it's a dumb thought. I'm <laughs> more specific yeah, saying that, that is a dumb, dumb thought. Did anybody would get into the mindset of how much can we overthink one thing? I, I, you know what? That was probably twenty seconds of my life. I know it is a bad twenty seconds. <laughs> you didn't write a paper on it, so that's. I thought about it. Anyway, anyway, that's that's that. You know, I wonder since we went into random thoughts. Yeah, I got I got a random thought. I don't know how much Jim knows about this, and I don't want to go into where it happened. But there was recently in this town a a, a sermon on a on the the uh, parable of the talents five you know given to one four three two one. Then the sermon was very um, what I would call unorthodox in that the we always considered that the um, that the owner the person who had the money was God and that he expected much of those he gives to. And that the one, he was lazy, he just buried it in the ground and returned it, he got admonished. And Doc, help me here if I get it wrong, but my I was there for him to have his holy kit. Um the um the guy that was doing it was under he he taught it very unorthodox that that was not God, that that was an evil ruler, and that he was and that yeah. Um and that he was um ex- that there's no way that they could have made that money that quickly and that he was forcing them to do things that were um, unethical, maybe. Anyway, have you heard anything like that ever? Any of you guys ever heard anything like that before? I've never heard anything like that before. Okay, he was honest for it. Good. Okay. I just wondered. (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard anything like that, Jim, anywhere? No. Who did you hear this from? Well, I mean, I guess... I guess he, well, you know, he was admonished in front of everybody. Yeah, so you may as well just add add to your audience. Yeah, you don't have to. 
Yeah, it, it was a local church here, Jim. Okay, all right, okay. And and I and because I I don't want to embarrass the the guy that gave the 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 uh, the sermon, but uh, it it did turn out well for him because he was admonished right afterwards for it. Did and, you admonish him? Or? Well, you know what happened was, you know, Jim, you're gonna laugh because it was like when he when he gave it, I was holding was holding my grandson and he was wiggling his footman. In fact, he got into a five hour energy, so he had lots. <laughs> And so, yes, <laughs> you got to see Rhett on five-hour energy. It's interesting. Anyway, um, he, I'm holding him, trying to keep him still. He wanted to go preach the sermon. Uh, but anyway, I, he started preaching it, and I looked over at Charlotte, and I said, that's far out, man. <laughs> <laughs> like on the, uh, on the Jesus Revolution, when first we heard that oh, satanic guy speak, he goes, that's far out. <laughs> That's what yeah, I said to her. And, and then and then I said to her, you're going to have to explain it to me because I missed something. You said it to who? Charlotte. Oh. <laughs> I said, yeah, I missed something. Yeah. And um, But anyway, I, was wondering, I just wanted to make absolutely sure because I was going to go to his defense if anybody has ever interpreted it that at all. But he needs a lawyer right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll have to look at that passage again because you're saying that he took that I mean, the master is not the Lord, but a cruel master. Yes. Okay. And Doc right. made a very good point about the the what the one with one talent his thinking was. Yeah, it's it's a it's Matthew twenty five verse twenty four. It said, "I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, and gathering crops you didn't cultivate." And like to me, that's the like modern day atheist view of God. It's this like angry dictator, whereas like defining characteristic is almost hate and wrath. What, rather than mm-hmm. rather than, mm-hmm. like yeah, mm-hmm. rather than like a loving God, it's not it's mm-hmm. not at all like yeah. And go ahead, sorry. No, 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 that was it. Yeah, and God essentially does a summary judgment on them. Saying, mm-hmm. All right, let's just accept that as fact. Use that against yourself that I'm an angry God, and here you are doing that, and <laughs> you're just you're, you're not doing what I asked you to do. Yeah, yeah, yes. okay. yeah. So, yeah. so that I couldn't I, normally like. <laughs> I, I'm not very good at like quickly reading a passage and understanding the purpose or like the yeah the idea behind it. But I got that one immediately, and <laughs> so like I don't know how you. I read it in 30 seconds. Understood. That's like one of the easiest parables, like one of the simplest parables that Jesus has. I don't know how you get to that point. Was Glenn trying to talk? I don't think so. No. No. Okay. Uh, it was something. It was something came through. All right. Anyway, I agree with Doc. It was that. There's some parables. I need him explained, but I didn't need that one explained. It's sort of like the house on the sand, too. You know, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of them in there where I'm like, I don't need commentary on this. Like, I got it. I got a third grade reason. This is Pablo. So anyway, I just wanted to make absolutely sure. All right. Do you mind if I, if I hit another topic real quick? This is for discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have my reason for asking this. Um, I thought I understood it, but this one may be one I need to explain. All right, so David, he steals Bathsheba, all right? And then he gets a prophet or a minister or somebody comes up to him and tells him a parable about some sheep or cattle or something. What was it about? Nathan tells the parable about a commander's lamb, and the lamb was like a pet. And what happens? Tell the whole story, since you know Okay, so after, after David sleeps with Bathsheba, Jim, you're wait, 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 you're, wait. You're the one with the voice, weak voice. Did you change something? I did not change anything. 
Glenn's is coming through quite fine, but yours is not. All right, go ahead. I'll just turn it up. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't know what's happening. All right. Um, so, um, Nathan is told to go up to David from the Lord and tell the story about a poor man and his lamb who lives next to a rich man. The rich man has all sorts of sheep. This poor man has one lamb, and his lamb's not just a lamb. He's the, the lamb's like a pet, like a daughter of his. Well, the rich man has a has guests coming over, and he doesn't want to use any of his sheep to sacrifice to have as a meal for his guests. And so he says, go and take that poor man's lamb and slaughter it so that we can have a feast. And so that's exactly what the rich man did. David responds saying, well, that rich man must be put to death, um, which, by the way, goes against what the law of the Old Covenant was. The law of the Old Covenant was to repay that man fourfold, not put him to death. But anyway, so David says that man needs to be put to death. And by saying that, Nathan says, well, you just condemned yourself because that's what you did to Uriah, the Hittite. Okay. And so why did he get death? Why did grace. He... Grace. So, so grace, grace is... God, because God. Yeah. Yeah. is a, a common thing for the Old Testament. Okay. All right. So let's apply that to today. Um, is that applicable in the New Testament or, or is that a dispensational thing? Can you, are you judged by how you judge others? Oh, real quick. What is dispensational again? You mean to play, to do my best, Jim, or since you're doing it, you probably well, you all oh, take a shot. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I'll, yeah, I'll, uh, no, no, no. no. It seems like it's, Chris it's, has an idea, too. It's like uh, periods of time in the way that God deals with mankind. Reveals himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jim, do you want to you give a better definition? Yeah, uh, so... Uh, rather than periods of time, I would call it uh, different administrations. So we're, it's all one economy, it's all God's economy, but there are different administrations who are given different rules to, and, and different, uh, how do I say this, different phases of revelation. So not everybody has the same level of revelation. Like uh, nobody knew that Jesus was going to be the Christ, let's say, uh, in the Old Testament. Even though they knew that there was going to be a Messiah, they didn't know that his name was going to be Jesus. We know that because Jesus came and went, and we have the Gospels to tell us that. Whereas the Old Testament folk didn't know that. They didn't know his name was going to be Jesus. They knew things like his name was going to be Emmanuel and that he probably called wonderful counselor. But we have different phases of revelation. So I would call it administrations who have different, uh, who have different limits of knowledge. All right. So, so the way I grew up with it. You had the Garden of Eden, that was one. Then you had the Age of the Gentiles, okay, okay. which have been I got you. I got then you had the Age of Israel, hypostatic union when Jesus Christ was on on the earth, and then the Church Age and the Rapture and the Blue. That's how okay. I was kind okay. of okay. That's, that, that makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Okay. Now, what I want to know is, I'm, and I know that that's why not, not judge others. Or, or I, I guess what I'll say is that's David got judged by the by the standard he judged somebody else. Is that right? Uh, yes. Now, wait, wait a second. David condemns himself because he judged someone on the standard that he would have judged himself. Yes. What's the difference between what you said and what I said? Well, I'm trying to think about it because he didn't ultimately get judged in that way, or he didn't, I guess he got judged that way, he just never got it carried out. The sentence wasn't carried out, yeah. Yeah, the sentence wasn't carried out, but he did get judged that way, so I think I would agree with that. 
So, so you know, one of the things that that, that really affected me as a, as a young adult was judging others because I realized that I was judging myself. I was giving my standard. Yes. Okay. And I and I guess. Is that the same idea? I mean, did, when Jesus says, do not judge others, lest you be judged, is that what that's about? I, I think you kind of look at it like with cancer culture, if you want to apply that, right? So, like, these people get pissed off when somebody says says the wrong thing, say something stupid and controversial or say a word they shouldn't say. Then you look back at your past and it's like, have you, like, what are you guilty of? It's what almost like I'll do it are? myself. Yeah. It's almost as soon as I judge somebody, then I'll do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, our, is our, well, you know, the, to be a good example of that, to me, would be the question I have. I am all for canceling out Bud Light. Am I, am I being judged by that? Bud Light made a mistake. They did. Well, you're being judged by the standard that you hold Bud Light to. So if you, yeah, so you're, you're I, that, well, that's my interpretation, at least. So, yeah, if you're, if whatever standard you're holding the world to is the standard you're going to be held to. So I put a cross-dresser on my Letterhead, that's going to be judged by that. Yeah, if you, if you start cross-dressing, <laughs> it's going to be a tough. It's going to be tough for you to get out of that. Does that does that make sense, guys? It was, it, it, there's a reason it came up that I probably can't even articulate yet. But the person speaking, I thought, was condemning himself mm. as I was watching. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I heard this in my practical theology class, leading effective ministries. We were talking about how we have to evaluate ministry. And so that commandment, um, you know, don't judge others lest you be judged yourself, that that is judgment as far as who belongs to the kingdom or if they did what was worthy of the kingdom versus discernment. And so there's a difference between judgment and discernment. There are certain things that we are required to do as far as, um, you know, test the spirits and you know, use our judgment in that capacity. But as soon as we start using our judgment in a way where we're con- we're condemning people, essentially, then that's where we where where we cross the line. Well, you know, one of the things that came into my mind, and y'all helped me fit this into the conversation, but the woman that was caught in the act of adultery was brought to Jesus, and the law said that she was to be stoned, and Jesus said, "Well, that's fine, but." Uh, whoever amongst you uh, has no sin, cast the first stone. And they left from the oldest uh, to the youngest. I think that's the way it fell out. And uh, so I don't know how how all that fits in, but immediately it came to my mind in this discussion. So uh, obviously the law said to do one thing, and Jesus said, yeah, go ahead. But it didn't happen. Because everybody looked at their self and decided, well, look, you know, I've broken the law somewhere along the line. I can't cast a stone. So that's kind of goes along with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you use that verse, I always use a lot of caution because I haven't written anything formal on this. But that's a very doubtful text as far as that was actually scripture. I was going to ask that about that. That seemed to have been added in much later. Yeah, because um, yeah, yeah, they have so, the little... Oh, really? That might not even be in there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, 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 I used that the other. I used that like two weeks ago. And so, really? Yeah. Well, somebody once said that that they were misinterpreted because it said if you know if you, if you believe that she needs a stoning, well, Cheech and Chong said they like it, so they were okay. <laughs> well, that's not the only time that Jesus 
disciples or, or in his presence that the law was broken because they, right. they, they got right. something. To, you know, I have a problem when we go back to the scripture and we begin to delete this one and delete that one because of the time that it was placed into the scripture. Uh, I have some problems with that. Well, there are certain things. There are certain things where people have definitely added to the scripture where it shouldn't be in there, such as um, like the explicit mentioning of the Trinity uh-huh. to fit within a certain apologetics of the day. And I don't think that that should be happening to you. Like, let's say that we have a certain apologetics today and we're like, well, to prove a point, we're going to change the scripture up so that we can tell people, well, it's in the scripture. You don't think that we should be doing that, right? I'm, I'm kind of uh, drawing a blank. I'm, um, okay. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of how I'm going to say I, this. I, you so, know, I, I believe that God uh, is made up of spirit and soul. Uh, I mean, man was made in the image of God. We, we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. And so uh, I think that goes along with uh, we were made in the image of God. And I believe that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here, let me let me put it a different way. Okay. okay. Um, you you believe that we shouldn't add or subtract from the Scripture, right? That's exactly right. But many okay, of the things so, that we so, wait, wait just one second. Many of the things that we say has been added to Scripture, which it may have been, but it's in line with other things that we see in the Scripture. Yeah, but there's no caveat in that warning as as far as saying. Uh, do not add or subtract to the scripture, but if you do add, make sure it's in line with scripture. There's nothing saying that. Isn't it's, that it's passage? Isn't statement. that passage that you quoted? Isn't that in the book of Revelation? What passage? The passage. Oh no, that's well. Well, it's you see it in various scriptures. So you see it in Deuteronomy, and then you see it in Revelation as well. And I don't. I'm not necessarily sure if you see it elsewhere, but I bet you do. You know, you know, my, when I hear that, when I didn't know that that was supposed to be written in there, maybe people are saying that it was written in there about, you know, her who who is without sin cast the first stone. I, it seems to me so in line with what Jesus was teaching. And where's the man there? Why are they just stoning the woman? And I, I, I it's, you know, he it, it's depicted very well and chosen with with the. Um, with the women in there, that he is very compassionate, understanding of, of of the plight that some of these women had had. So I've never doubted that. Does it seem to be out of of um, any in any way, shape, or form away from other doctrines of the church? No, absolutely not. Um, and so it's kind of the same thing as the writings of various. Apocrypha or, or pseudographs, meaning um, writings that were attributed to the apostles but weren't necessarily by them. The early church didn't necessarily have qualms with what was written, like the orthodox nature of what was written in the text. What they had a problem with was that these guys were forging in the name of someone else. So it didn't really matter that the text was orthodox or not, it mattered whether it really had apostolicity, meaning that the apostles either wrote it or used it, like Luke and Mark. Um, and so whenever we're, whenever we're talking about orthodoxy, that's not really the point. I think that the text is highly orthodox, like you said. I think that it falls in line with what Jesus was doing and teaching. However, just as a matter of uh, manuscriptural evidence, it's not 
I don't think that it needs to be in Scripture. It's the best story told about Jesus outside of Scripture, in my opinion. Uh, maybe they were just uh, guilty of plagiarism. Maybe they heard uh, one of them, one of the apostles speak, and so they wrote it down and and put it in a book, in, in one of the books of the Bible. Did Jerome include it? So I can't remember when exactly it was included, but it would have been like much, much later, well after the apostles. Like I mean, uh, Jerome was was fairly strict. He would put it into apocryphal if he thought it was. Did he did he include that in the Vulgate? Um, I'm not necessarily sure, uh, and I, I can't tell you when exactly it was put in scripture. I just know that everybody has that footnote in the Bible. In most Bibles, the text is probably italicized to indicate, hey. Some of the earliest manuscripts don't have this. It's the same thing with the ending of Mark 16. So in Mark 16, verses 1 through 8 are in there, but then the rest of the verses 9 through 20, those are believed to have been added much later as well. And so you'll see those italicized in your Bibles as well, because it's very doubtful that that was actually in there, that someone recreated that. And again, that story falls in line with all the other stories that you see in the Gospels. It's just, as as a matter of fact, as a matter of manuscriptual evidence goes, it doesn't, the, that text is not supported well. So Does the, that make sense? The canonization of the Bible, uh, mm-hmm. is that, um, do we not, should we not accept it since um, it has so many uh, things in it that, has been proven it didn't come directly from the uh, person that or the, the book that it's in. Whenever you say accept it, what are you saying it is the the, the verses that we're talking about? Well, uh, no, uh, yes. Uh, when, when they canonize the scripture, they, they put it together. Um, uh-huh. Did they take that into consideration? If, if they felt that, hey, this isn't right, we're not going to put this in there. Why didn't right. they do yes. that is what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. So was so, the Holy Spirit involved in in the Bible being canonized? Maybe that's what I'm asking. Well, I believe so. Yes. Well, and, I, and I don't think I really do. Canonization, canonization was a natural process. Like it was something where I, I look at it as like this: um, the authors were inspired. They were apostles or prophets or both. Um, the people recognized it. They held it as scripture. There was no formal process of canonization. And then it slowly came to be recognized that there were consistently 27 books that were deemed scripture and all other books were not. And that these books passed the test, even though there was really no formality in it. Does that make sense? Well, kind of, sort of. My concern is is people that are listening uh, and, and people in churches today. Um, the more we begin to emphasize, well, this, this, this wouldn't really, you know, this is a canonized. I, I, I can't even say the word. And uh, we're 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 not sure that that this really happened, uh, or this uh, was really um, something that should have been in the Bible. And I, I just I, I feel like that when we undermine our confidence in the Word of God. We're undermining uh, what God has said and done in, but, in history. Pastor, you know, and, I'm, and, I, and I think I tend towards what you're saying more than, than it's going to sound like here. But I would say that just as much 
argument could be made if, against somebody who's saying we need to move it, as it could be saying, hey, you're putting stuff in it and it doesn't belong. Yeah, you're, we're, we're just trying to figure out what belongs. Okay. And I know that some very smart people, and I think Jerome was one of them, went through it and decided this is what fits the test of canon and what doesn't. But he's the one that that made some of those books apocryphal, saying, hey, they weren't canon, and that's what the Catholic Church calls the apocryphal, trying to put it back in. And, and Martin Luther's going like, no, you know, that's why Jerome took them out. So... To me, he's a pretty good standard of somebody who studied very hard, and I would like to know if in the Vulgate that about the casting the first stones in there. I, that would and, that and, would go a long way towards convincing me one way. Right, and uh, I agree with you in this sense that the more that we're honest about those italicized texts, the more confidence will pe- people will have about the texts that are not italicized. People will say, "Okay, like." We're very critical of our text, and everybody agrees that these texts are not italicized or in there. We can have full confidence in that because our shepherds are very, very truthful. I don't think and so. I think that those who are leaders of the church need to be very honest about these italicized texts. Look at the manuscriptual evidence and say, look, this is a great story, but it doesn't belong in the scripture like all these other texts. Oh, do, which is, yeah, yeah, 99.5% of the text. Yeah, but I mean, even if you say might not be is, is enough, I don't know. I uh, right. I agree. I mean, I agree. But I mean, again, I, I do know that some, some some men who have more time on their hands to do this and a lot smarter than I am included and in, in excluded certain things. And the reason that I have always kind of yielded to, to Jerome is because he kicked, he kicked so much out. He, he He's the reason we have that apocrypha instead of instead of having them in the books. Anyway, I have, I see where you're coming from, Jim. I, I, I agree. I agree. Man, you better be sure. <laughs> no, you I agree. Well, <laughs> but the thing is, the, the, the sword cut, cuts both ways. You better it be does. sure either way. If you and add so, to it, you're just as much trouble if you take on it. Right. Yes. So, and I'm just saying, it seems to me that the text has been added to. Okay, so you're going to say this. If you were the preacher, you would, at a minimum, say, hey, there's a reason this is italicized. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I were going over that particular text that day, okay. which I'm not necessarily sure why I would, but yeah. Okay. You know, well, it's other thought, other, other it, than to teach people a thing or two about textual criticism, which I'm sure the church population just absolutely is dying to hear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me ask you this real quick, Jim. It's... it's, it's I just need to know this. Are you just quiet on Jerome, or do you see where I'm going with it? Uh, I'm just quiet on it. Because I see I both. It's both. Um, I'm not necessarily familiar with Jerome's work and what he's done, and I'm going to get there, but that's why I'm quiet. Okay, well, just so anybody else this may or may not know who he was, he's the one that translated the Bible into Latin. And they gave him all the resources he could possibly need for people to help him with it. And he organized the Bible. I want to say that he, in the, in order, it is now. Um, and he made certain things apocryphal and he said other things we absolutely don't meet the test. And so just by non 
my, my secular reading of, of history made me think, hey, this is somebody that you at least ought to presume is correct. That's kind of how I am on that. He, he's, he, mm-hmm. And again, that he, he made the apocrypha, those things are in the apocrypha. He, he's the one that put them there. And um, the Catholics now apparently disagree with it. But they did believe at one time and followed the Apocrypha. There was a time when the well, when the Latin Bible was made, when it was interpreted into to Latin, the apocryphal books were labeled as apocryphal, not canon. Mm-hmm. And I I respected him for that. Mm-hmm. I did. I went, okay, that's pretty good. He 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 had a pretty tough standard. He kept these things out. So so that's the you know, Book of Wisdom. It might be a very good book to read. In fact, I would. I've read it, but I don't. I don't know that it should be read when they're doing scriptural readings at the Catholic Church. I'm not sure it should be read. They do read it, but I'm not sure it should be. That, that's where I'm coming from. But I just wanted to know. So you haven't gotten to that yet. What you're telling me? So I'm asking you something you're not you're not really willing to comment. On. Jim, is that right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and, I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah, and, and again, I this is going to be fun. Doing this with Jim because he's going to eventually come up across this. I'm sure Jerome is not something they're going to ignore for four years. Oh no, no, we we go into the patristic fathers. We do, we do all that. So anyway, that's interesting. Um, the doc knew before I did that that may be apocryphal. Uh, yeah, that story. Yeah. yeah, that story. I did not know that the casting of the stones was in palace. I did not know that. I just read it like this is truth. I, I get this. This is truth. And you're not saying when I heard it. Oh, that's a good story. Yeah, but it doesn't mean it's like Jim said. It doesn't mean it's not sweet. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. sweet. Yeah, it's it's a great extra biblical story of Christ, in my opinion. At a minimum. At a minimum. Yeah, and and I think that there's actually pretty good evidence this tradition actually traces back to Christ. That this story might have actually happened. It just wasn't in scripture. All I know and is you don't get to add to scripture just yeah. because something happened. Yeah, I get it. I, you know, I, I get invited. I, I tried to quickly find it. It was in Jerome's. You know, it, I couldn't quickly find it, so I gave up. What's that now? The internet is. I was googled it to see if it, if I could quickly find it. That was oh, you said Vulgate. You said Vulgate. You couldn't find out. I just wasn't going to be able to quickly find that, so I gave up. Okay. It, I mean, I could spend time on it. Yeah, I'll have the answer next time. Phone. It won't take a second. It's like you. It's like that anytime you're trying. Trying to listen and trying to do something else you can't. I know multitasking does not exist. Anyway, that's interesting to me, and and I and I have never ever doubted that it's the word of God. It seems so real to me. Mm-hmm. Now the one about the snakes that you do sometimes you talk about that one, I'm going like, mm. you know, <laughs> that's a, that's the more that's the Mark 16 one, right? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, one yeah. I, I won't lie. I mean, I go like because I remember asking a a. Um, a, a, a Baptist minister one time. I we were at, we were working out, and I said I was reading this last night. He goes, I think someone wrote that in there. That's what he said. <laughs> well, yeah. Did, did Paul so, pick up the serpent and not get armed? We're not saying it's not true. Yeah. We're asking yeah. is it can't. That's the question. Oh, I see what you're saying. And yeah. but, but that's where I have a problem when we start putting a maybe on scripture. It's on scripture, but it's not putting a maybe on scripture. It's putting a may, it's putting the maybe on things that are probably not scripture. And so, like I, I would I would say that this is an addition to the text, Mark sixteen nine through twenty, that later people erroneously put in and use this scripture. I think that was wrong. That needs to be taken out. 
That's just my opinion. Well, when the time. King James was done, where did they get those manuscripts? Manuscripts. Those were those. So the King James version is uh, its manuscriptural support is not as strong as the other versions. That's one of the things it's notorious for. They, they, they didn't interpret straight from the Vulgate. I'm not necessarily sure. I don't know what the specifics are on it. I just know that that is the general criticism of the King James Version is that the manuscripts they used are not as reliable as the other ones that have been used. They're earlier, more reliable manuscripts. All I'll say is that's some of the most beautiful prose ever written. Absolutely. I don't like what the NIV did with Psalm 23. Instead of saying, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it just says, though I walk through the darkest valley. It's not nearly as poetic. So Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, anyway, I, it is interesting, and I said it is interesting to me the doctor that poor I did. I just have always assumed that that was in there. I always did it. I, 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 I did. It's kind of disappointing to me. Well, I, you know, and Mark sixteen verse seventeen and eighteen, I've had uh, I, I see biblical evidence that the possibility is there. I think it's a danger not to preach it. Uh, I think that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Well, my brother was about seven years old. Incidentally, he is a pastor in Ohio. He's got three campuses. Uh, he has a thriving church. He's 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 a, a, a man of the scripture. Uh, he he believes uh, in a miraculous Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he's seven years old, he was coming up from uh, the New River. That's the name of a river in West Virginia. He's coming up through the woods at seven years old with uh, my grandpa. And some others with him, and he reached down to pick up. He must have needed glasses to pick <laughs> up a stick, and he picked up a snake. And as soon as he saw it was a snake, he threw it, and he was not harmed. He was not bit. I think it's a danger to take people away from the miraculous. I don't understand everything about the canonization of the the Bible, but I, I receive it as the Word of God. I don't mind hearing some of the things I'm hearing today. But I think it's a danger to uh, just uh, meditate on some of these things rather than saying, my God is a miracle God, and I I'm going to preach the word of God to God's people. I'm not going to back up and say, now look, folks, this wasn't part of the, the canonization. Well, it is the word of God as far as I'm concerned. Well, what, uh, here's, here's what a middle ground could potentially be, right? Because I think that a lot of what Mark 16, 9 through 20 says Mashes up with scripture. So if you're going to preach on it, it could be a synthesis of various verses that you find throughout, like Paul picking up the snake. You could say, okay, well, whenever Mark 17, Mark 16, 17 says that these signs will be given to you, that you'll pick up snakes with their hands. And when they, uh, they'll pick up snakes with their hands, I guess that's all it just says. Um, then that can refer to Paul's picking up the snakes. And that's actually scripture. <laughs> And so, and so, like, you can use these texts in a way saying, even though these aren't canon, like, they do summarize the text very well, that these are these were the signs of the believers and are still. Doc has his hand up. Uh, John 8, 1 through 11 was also very significantly contained in St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate. It was yeah. in there. Okay. It was in there. Okay. I'm going to go with it being canon. I'm just going to say that. Well, uh, mm -hmm. I am. Well, that's that's according, by the way, that's according to TimStaples.com. Yeah. Let, so. let me say this, Jim. I think I, think I, I, I can summarize how I believe it. I think it would be wrong to take it out at least 
if it's if you can put it in italics, that's fine. Yeah. There's some problems with the right. text. But I think it would be a dangerous thing to pull them out. Right. And I really do believe that 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 Jerome was given such independence, he had no political reasons, he had nothing to go he 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 was allowed to do that without any pressure from top or bottom. And if he included it in my book, I'm including it. That's just me. So, so I, now that again, I'm not a preacher, so I don't have to worry about adding and subtracting, right? But I am going to yeah. say this: that I think that it should be put in there in italics and minimal. There, I think that there's a reason why they are in italics, and that's because the best conservative, even who hold to the inerrancy of the Bible, textual critics are saying that these don't belong in there, and. They're like they aren't one individual. Like I would respect Jerome. He's not their arbiter of truth, especially on what goes to scripture. He did great research, but he's fallible, just like everyone else is, but needs to be done in community. And that's all I'm saying about what's happening here with these verses is even though Jerome included them in there, he was also dealing with the evidence that was given to him, I'm sure. And I'm not necessarily Oh, he was what that was. A lot. And he was giving conflicting. Uh, yeah. But, but whenever I hold that, whenever I weigh that against the manuscriptural evidence that we have as far as like complete New Testament texts that don't have any indication of having these in there, they're wet, that are very much earlier than the texts that do have those in there. It makes textual critics and me say that these were put in by a later copyist. So I understand what you're saying is, is that he may have not had access to some of the things that scholars have now. And because of that, you think that it's proper to put that in palace because it's not in those original manuscripts. That and uh, the motive of these textual critics today are not motives of tearing the Bible apart. They're very conservative. They're conservative, and they're trying to they're trying to get to the truth. They're not trying to yes. to persuade. They're, yeah, they're not trying to rip the Bible to pieces. Okay, and and I will say this that, that I agree. All right, but I will tell you that from from my lawyer training. I can't help but take Jerome and say, you're going to have the burden of proving he's wrong because he had no bias into corruption. He had, he really was just given a task and took everything he could find to decide what was in there, what wasn't. And there are people who criticize him trying to put things back in the Bible. He took out, take out some of the things he kept in. Um, I would say that if this is not scripture, you better be very careful Yanking it out, put it in, at least yes. put it in italics. At least put it in italics. That's what I would say. And I appreciate what you're saying, Jim. And I'm not stupid enough to think that I can argue this with current scholars. Nor can I. I see what you're really getting at is I can't say they had bias, interest, or corruption either. They're just trying to get the truth. Right. I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah. I, I think that. It, and, and if there weren't something, if there were something that textual critics, like I saw textual critics being divided on this, then I would say, okay, they're divided on this. Fact is, they're not. They're not divided on these verses. So, for some reason or another, they, they believe that the evidence outweighs what Jerome was using. Okay. Well, I will say this, that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be looking for Jerome. I'm not going to be looking for Because <laughs> <laughs> he is an amazing guy. And, he, yeah. you know, and again, we have more resources now, and you know, things that he didn't have. So I get it. I do. I get what you're saying. Uh, but I am going to side with the pastor here. At least put him in, 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 in italics. And if, if you believe like Pastor Chris does, 
that is that is scripture, and he is led by the Spirit to preach on it. He would be a fool not to preach on it. Yeah, and I would also say that Chris is not the one who added. Touche, touche, touche. Doc, do you have anything to say? I love doing this. Do you? Nope. You'll say something if you have something to say, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I can I go back to something Doc said earlier before we leave? Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. No, yes, you may. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so whatever we're talking about, Matthew 25 and the uh, master who the service said was cruel, and you said that this is this is something that the new atheists do as far as talking about yeah. God being a... Um, His defining characteristic is wrath rather than... He's yeah, like a dictator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's I think that's one of those things that um, apol- not necessarily apologetics, but you could call it that probably maybe should get away from is, is trying to uh, justify God, maybe even lean into that argument, just like Jesus did with that parable. Like, don't run away from, you know, these guys' conclusions that God's a wrathful God. It's like, well, that doesn't mean that he doesn't exist just because you think he's wrathful, you know? <laughs> and it, and you guys, you guys have made this point that he is, so what are you doing? Like, you're really going to stand up to him like that uh, Stephen Fry, I believe, yeah, said that he's yeah, going to tell yeah. God to i tell you what I'd say to him. I'll tell like, you what I'd say to him, that he's a cruel... Yeah. You know what's going to happen? Like, yeah, I don't want this to happen, but you know what's going to happen is God is going to tell him, go ahead, say it. <laughs> tell, tell it to me now. Yeah, I think there's a better chance that Stephen Fry's going to end up on his knees. Right. <laughs> Right, Sorry. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, not going to go. It's not going to go. His last name. Yeah, there, yes. I don't think there's very many people that stand up boldly to God. <laughs> right. And so someone's cruelty doesn't negate their existence. That's all I would just say is, uh, you know, thinking about what Christopher Hitchens says, things yeah. like that. It's like none of this negates yeah, I, I mean, existence. I, it seems like they're more trying to say, like, why would you want to believe in this angry, dictator, wrathful God? Right. It's not, yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah. yeah like, the one yeah, why, why would you want to believe yeah, that? That's yeah. assuming that we want to believe something. Yeah. Let me ask so. you this on church discipline. Shouldn't he have been called out, that pastor, for that really crazy interpretation? Discreetly. That's what I, I said. That's what not First. That's what I said. You don't, you, you, don't, um, you don't skip the steps of church intervention. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have one person go up to him discreetly. And then you have, if he doesn't listen, have two or three others come along with you. If he doesn't listen, take it to the church. I, I think the, the head guy is more, almost in, in a lot of ways, is more responsible yeah, for that. Because he's, it, that, that's not the first thing that's, that's happened. He called him out in the church right afterwards. Yeah. In, on the, in the announcement. Hey, nobody anywhere believes this. Yeah. Okay. And he said that. And, and, and I, Doc makes the point that, it would have been better for him to take him to the side and let him come up and say, you know what? I've made a mistake. Or, yeah, bring yeah. it up next week. Yeah. Well, like, bring it up next week. The, the same people should be there. And now, now somebody time. may somebody may come out with the wrong – if they never go back to church after this, well, that's their fault. And but, I, well, I think, and I think it destroys his ministry. Yeah. I, mean, I want to put it out. But I was saying, it ended it. It ended it. Again, I think that that's worse on the, the head guy because he's not – he is not – obviously not um, – involved enough in in these sermons to to know like hey what are you gonna what are you gonna talk about today or what's what's your interpretation of today's 
scripture. By the way, I finally was able to get myself free all for Revelation, so I can't say I've never done it. I have done it now. But I have been trying to study Ecclesiology, and I can't get through it. I keep something interrupts me. What is Ecclesiology? Ecclesiology is the doctrine of, of how you should run a church. Okay. And and I some of it's just to be common sense. You don't get up there and, and criticize somebody unnecessarily. You've got plenty of time to fix that. And if somebody hears the parable of talents, he's going to probably have forgotten the other one already because one of them makes sense and one of them doesn't. Yeah. I, I really felt for the guy. He thought he'd come up with something original, and we all must think we need to be able to do that. I don't know that originality is necessary. I like the way Chris does it. There's a certain few things that you think need to be stressed, and that is that we still live in a time of miracles, mm-hmm. that you believe that, that the Holy Spirit can make you a better person and make and you can do great things through it, and you stay on that. And I like that. I like the fact that I don't have to guess where you're coming from ever, and you're not trying to go with the original. It's all been done, right? And I think that this, this idea that we want to do something original I know that on the podcast I try to. I want to come up with something in a way that others haven't thought about it. And inevitably, we'll do it. And then I'll research it after the podcast. And five million people have already said it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know how much originality we really, really can have. Um, I and feel for that guy. It's scary to do that with scripture, though. I agree. Like, that's, a, that's, a, that's a scary road to go down. That's what's scary about ministry is like, you're out there preaching a false gospel on accident. Like it is a genuine, it's a genuine accident. Like, well, you know, think I, you came up with this awesome thing. Now, this is what, what I like doing on accident is criticizing God. Exactly. <laughs> God is, I've had, I've had uh, evangelists come up to me through the years and they'll say, I hope that I didn't say anything that confused your people. And you know what I say to them? And it stuns them. I say, in two weeks, they'll forget everything you said. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why I think you could have waited. That, by the way, I really do. Like, they're either going yeah. to they're, they're come to church enough to where they know, okay, that was a, like, they're going to have your reaction like, that, that didn't make any sense. Or <laughs> well, you they're going to forget it. And like, they're, yeah, they're not like super devoted. They're, they're going to forget it. It's just like. Well, here, here was the way I looked at it. That if I would have come up with that, I I hope I'm judging him now. I'm not. I'm really feeling for the guy. So I'm not judging him. I'm hoping that I would go to Jim and say, what do you think? Chris, what do you think? Doc, what do you think? And if you all go do your nuts, then I would go, well, I'm going to study this more before I do this. Because I, I think that he came up with it. And what the what, what the person above him said was, you should have checked with us first. Yeah. Right before you said something that goes against how it's always been taught. I don't know. I feel for the guy. Pray for the guy. I've been praying for it. I, 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 that's humiliating. But you know what? You got to brush off your pants and yeah, get back going. Glenn, do you have anything you want to spot paint on? It's not time for you to talk about PJ's coffee yet. I'm going to make that clear from now on. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're talking about babies? No, we're not going to talk about sacrificing babies. Okay. Uh, the uh, thing I see here is the judge not now should not be judged. It doesn't say don't judge. It says be careful. And in my opinion, my reading of that is be careful. You need to make sure you're not being uh, hypocritical when you doesn't do this judging. 
uh, what I've often seen is people say, I'm not doing this, or uh, people say something like, now I'm not saying this, and they're really saying it. <laughs> uh, they're, when we talk about these parts of the Bible that have some dispute, here's what I see. There's lots of things that, you know, I don't think this was written down right when it happened, right? I think we can all agree with that. It was written down a little later, or a lot later, some people think. And a lot of this was an oral tradition back then. And the oral tradition was um, very, yeah, I think there was some controversy at the time when they did write it down, saying, no, we need to stick with the oral tradition. Because that's the way the Lord wanted it, you know. So we had this controversy. However, had we not written it down, had the Bible not been put together, uh, we might not have the word now. It might have been, you know, uh, destroyed. Because that's why it was written down, because it was being destroyed. Um, It's amazing that this book came together like it is in its form now. To me, I mean, that's a miracle in and of itself, that it fits together so well, and it's literary. You know, people study it just as literature and say, oh, my gosh. So you've had minds, so many minds on the Bible over the centuries. This this makes, for me, uh, gives me some confidence in its veracity and its, you know, truth. And I don't think these little parts make a big difference in the way you are going to. And I think the other thing I think is when you've got these these disputes, it's a good thing because it tests your faith. It tests, you know, and it's a little nitpicky thing. We talk about atheists. We talk about all this. And, you know, I, I pray for atheists that they come to the Lord's word. But I don't think... You're, I don't think a real Christian is going to have a problem studying these things and thinking about them. And I don't think a believer is going to have a problem because they're going to say, as the pastor said, in two weeks, they just won't remember it. Okay. Well, let me. Okay, you have something to say, Sam? <laughs> All right. This is what I want to say here, real quick. Um, to some on my side of it, I, I, I absolutely enjoyed the conversation about the canon today. That was to me fun. It's yes. always fun to talk yes. about those things. Um, and I, but I want to say also that judging, it depends on your motive. A lot of it, if I, if, if doc were to steal something from a client, I'd have to judge it. I'd have to say, you can't do that. But I don't, you know, I, I will even say this, that we had something recently happen on the campus of tech where some people were, were, were slashed. They weren't staff, they were sliced and one of them died. I still call him a sailor. I haven't called him guilty at all. I'm a I'm afraid to do that. I just am. I'm afraid to cast stones. Do I think he should be in jail? Yes, there's a lot of probable cause, but I just don't want to judge him. Maybe I take it too far as a lawyer. I don't know. But that's where I think the thing comes from. I will judge myself by stealing. If I steal, I should be judged, and so should Jim. So should Doc. So should you. If if you know they stole. That's one thing. The other thing is, is this one's directed at Glenn. Could the problem, the difference between what Jerome interpreted and what they're interpreting now is the availability of PJ's coffee now, but not at the time of, of, of Jerome. Would that change things? Well, 
Will James. Uh, I think it would absolutely change things. I think Jerome would have been able, and not only to, he wouldn't have had any influence other than just clarity in the area to do all his work in. And uh, that interpretation would have made it so much easier. The one thing that probably would have enhanced his work would be some PJ's coffee, some hot PJ's in hot ways. <laughs> Thank you, guys. As, as always, I enjoyed it. I mean, all of you, I appreciate it. I think it was a good discussion. And we will be back next Wednesday with more exciting eschatology. Christian talk. Thank you guys for listening. Bye-bye. All right. See ya.